The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen-shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deek speaking. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space travel. The father of the holy toast. Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson. Our guest uh, Charlie, our returning guest Charlie, guest Charlie number one. I'd like to guest Charlie number one, of course. That's I would right. like my title. Right. <laughs> Although one of uh, somebody has uh, started naming the Charlies by their um, attitudes. Oh shit! So you were angry, Charlie. But we're oh, going to talk about that. His name's Dave Anthony, by the way. Just in case you didn't recognise the yeah, voice. Have I, have I come across angry on tof, on Fofop? No, but see, this is uh, I've had a bit of feedback from people saying, "Who is this, Dave?" Uh, it's the real Dave. <laughs> Who is this Dave? It's the real Dave. Yeah. Is is this the real Dave? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what's that about then? Why is the other Dave so angry? Where did Angry Dave come from? Well, a- angry. Like, because you are like, a, you I are mean, the Hulk. Like you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. People are like with Dave Anthony. They're like, he's a good guy, but don't make him angry. You're not going to like no. him when he's angry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and that's not a good quality. Let's be honest. I, I, I said when I watched your album recording that like your style is very interesting because <laughs> like most comedians try to win over the audience first, mm-hmm. and then you might take them to a dark place. Like yes. I always talk about, you know, doing comedy is like you let a. It's like meeting a, a dog. You let it sniff your hand for a while yeah. until it trusts you, and then you can get it to do shit that you want it to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. And and I'm the same with an audience. You want the audience to like you before you're like, all right, now. Now that, we, now that we're all in this together, guys, there's a body here. <laughs> there's a body here and yes. we're all in this together. <laughs> the, the movie, you've seen the movie Deliverance. Right. One of my favorite movies. And I love, and I love as a writer, I love the first act. I yep. think it's brilliant. That movie doesn't start out with Ned Beatty getting fucked in the ass. Right. But I would say... It would be a bold choice. The way, the way, it would be a bold choice. The way a lot of movies are made today, right. it would. Right. It would start out with some guy getting fucked in the ass, and then he gets killed, and then you'd cut to those guys. Right. Like you just hear... The, of, the opening credits would come up, and you'd just hear... Ding, 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 ding. And yeah. then he'd just be getting fucked in the ass. Yeah, and then that guy would get shot in the head, right. and then all of a sudden you'd cut to the, those, guys, those guys getting in a canoe. Right. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, what's going on to these guys? <laughs> so there is, a, there is an aspect of, and I think, an American entertainment of hit them hard and hit them fast right. and then, fuck them in the ass up front right so that's what I that's what I did and after right. you said that I thought about recutting the album so that wasn't there but then I thought nope that's the way I did yeah. it and it's a I changed a couple of things around just for continuity that seemed better but that I didn't because even though your I think your note is very good and something I need to look at uh it's what I did and it's who I was at that time. Right. Which and is I think, what I want. That, and that's what you want it to be. Yeah. It's got to be an accurate reflection of, like, imagine if you made a comedy album of everything you'd done up until now. Yeah. And you pretended to be someone else. Right. Right? Right. Doesn't make sense. No. It was interesting. I, on the plane on the way over, I was watching a, um, I read an entire book in a row for the first time in ages, How which long is was fun. The book? Well, the flight's 14 hours. Like the but book did, was so were you were you reading most of that time? That it book? was it was this book right here. It's called uh, Lexicon by Mac, Max Barry. Words are weapons. Uh, words are weapons, and um, it's 
I've gotten a bit confused by looking at the last page of it because the cover is on backwards. Yeah, I recommend not starting with the last page, but right. it's one way to go. So it's uh, nearly 400 pages long. Wow. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about Max Barry. We went to high school together. We were in a high school theatre sports team sure together. Of course you were. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and now he's like an international. Uh, Matthew Vaughan, um, who uh, you know did uh, Kick-Ass and uh, X-Men First Class, has already bought the movie rights to this book. The book really? hasn't even come out yet. Oh, really? Yeah. This you is like an advanced, advanced copy. copy. Wow. Yeah, because I've done blurbs for his uh, oh, okay. books in the past. Yeah. Because there was a point as an author where the most famous person he knew... Was you? Was me. <laughs> so I was the person on the cover. Yeah. Now, they just send me a book and say, no, no, we don't need your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's just more like, this is what we used to do. So. Right. Well, his, his first book, Syrup's just been made into a movie, and so that's going to come out soon. And uh, Great. Anyway, but his story is an amazing story of, like, you know, when you hear about people... So he always wanted to be a writer. Like, uh-huh. So we went to high school together, and he, he was always a good writer. And, he always, and that's how we kind of bonded, was, like, he kind of did comedy writing and stuff. He was a year older than me at school, but just a really cool guy and real fun yeah. and whatever. So he went off and did computers. Like, that's what he was in. He was in computers. Uh-huh. And... Um, he at lunchtime every like lunch hour of his day so he would go to his job and then at lunch hour every day he would go out and he would sit in his car with his computer and he would write his novel Faulkner like Faulkner writ he wrote his his, you know novels while uh, as a security guard in some little booth right I mean they did get a lot of theft during that time of <laughs> hey, terrible uh, security guard. Hey, Great I, I, Bill, where's all the uh, you know the stuff? Where's all the stuff? <laughs> so, read this. How do you feel about the protagonist? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what they always said about. I, I, I find that to be the most impressive kind of artist—the guy who can have a, a full-time job and and make the time to create. And, and achieve. I think about that when comics tell me that they can't write a new hour, right? Because I write a new hour every year. Yeah. And when they say, well, how do you do that? I say, I'm a full-time comedian. Right. There's 52 weeks in a year. If I do something full-time and I can't like write one minute of material yes. a week... Then, yeah, you're then right. Am I really doing it full-time? Right. And then I think of someone like Max, who literally had a full-time job, and at his lunch hour, every hour, would yeah. go out there and write this book. Yeah. So he wrote an entire book himself, and um, he tried to get an Australian publisher to publish it. Now, the Australian publishing industry is is not a big industry. That it, like, I was a bestseller in Australia and sold, like, 20,000 books in when it first came out or something. Like, right. you don't have to be... Like, it's not a big industry, mm-hmm. right? So um, he couldn't get a book deal. In fact, I think one company offered him $5,000. Hey. Like, you know, right? <laughs> For a book that he wrote in his book. He would have spent more... Hey, do more... you want to keep working at a computer company? Right. <laughs> he would have spent a lot more. He, he, he would have been better just to steal the computer he was writing about. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so um, he w- went online and he like he he went and found some American agents and stuff and like you know put his stuff online and said here's a sample you know are you interested? Yeah. So he picked up this American agent. This guy really liked you know, responded to it and thought that he could sell it right. Yeah. So again, one of those counterintuitive stories where, um, and I hope you doesn't mind that I'm telling this story, but I think it's like a, a yeah, public a story. story. Um, he. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend is the worst weekend to send out your new manuscripts to the people who are going to read them sure. because people take early weekends uh-huh. and they go away. And so basically what happens in the publishing industry is if you send something out on Thanksgiving weekend, it just goes to the bottom of the pile when they put in next week's books Right, then well. they, they come back for vacation right. and you're never going to be seen again. Yeah. Right, so no one sends out. So over the years, it's got to the point where no one sends out shit right. on Thanksgiving week. Right. So this agent's gone, well, fucking if no one's sending stuff out... Maybe we should send something out. And on the off chance that someone's like, 
It's Thanksgiving. I want something to read on the train. Yeah, I'm playing on the way to my horrible family. Right. I assume it's a horrible family. Right. Well, I assume, yeah. I assume whoever's reading this has a horrible family. (laughs) So they're like, maybe someone in book publishing has a horrible family. (laughs) They want to be distracted. Yes. They can have a manuscript. So they send it in, and that's exactly what happened. That's genius. By the Monday after the Thanksgiving weekend, he had two competing American book companies in a bidding war for the rights to this book. Ended up selling it for over six figures, his first novel in America, and it did very well. That's that's an example of a great agent. Isn't it? Yes. And and it's an example of a guy who didn't give up when the people said no the first time. Yes. Right? Which is the big thing. Like, you know, it's very hard in this industry is that, you have a lot of opportunities. Like, I, it's the rejection business. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the whole idea of this business is, because over your life, you might only do, like, need one or two, th- three things that, to work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you can have a whole, I mean, David Letterman really did stand-up and has hosted a Tonight that's Show. That's all he's that's, done. That's all he's ever done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, he was a weather guy or something for a while. He, oh, he had a brilliant weather show, yeah, in yeah. the morning, and then he got his own show, and he hosted the Tonight Show a few times, and then right. had his own show. So he's pretty much had, like, a couple of opportunities. Yeah, he's been a comic and a host. Right. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need every single person to go, I also want him to be the host of this, and I also... In fact, right. and sometimes that's worse, because you end up doing some shit you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Because everybody wants you. And Chris Harvick is an example. Right. A stand-up, and then he got all these hosting things and now he's a host right yeah so um, uh, so you don't need it to to work all the time you just need it to work when you know yeah when you need it to work so he got it to work and now he's a you know professional author and has been all his life so he's he, awesome he wrote this new book and uh, he, you know he sent me a copy for the plane and he is it's just so good yeah that I like, it was just brilliant to just sit on the plane. And, I like, even when everyone else went to sleep, I was like, I can't put this book down. I don't think there's anything better than loving a book and Ooh. not wanting to put it down. Right. I really don't. Like, even the greatest movies, it's not the same thing. And, and I, because also you do that sort of thing where you kind of, I did put it down at one stage because everyone else was going to sleep. Yeah. Uh, and so I put it down. And I was like, and then I was just lying there going... No, fuck this. I'm going to read this book. And it felt so indulgent. And I was also doing that sort of thing of going, oh, my God, I'm so nearly 40. Because I'm so getting off on the fact that I can lie here. Yeah. And I was drinking, oh, my God, it's such an adult. Like, they had, um, with the dessert tray, they had, like, Baileys. Do you know the drink Baileys? Oh. Baileys on ice. So I had yeah. one of those. I thought, that's nice. I'll read my book and I'll have a Baileys yeah. on ice. Sure. So then. What did, you, com- did you have a Labrador by your? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then while I'm, like, because I'm awake and I'm now you want to wait they keep bringing me Bailey's on oh, ice yeah. so I'm literally just getting drunk on Bailey's reading a novel <laughs> rock and roll that's some old man shit right, right. there <laughs> so um, uh, anyway the, the other thing I did I watched a couple of movies when I was on the plane I watched um, Cloud Atlas have you seen that yeah I liked it yeah it's yeah. I mean it. people are it's one of those things that people are oddly mad at mm. And to me, I, I was watching it going, holy shit. There was like, a lot of ambition. How about, how about, yeah, how about we give them credit for they had a crack. trying right. this? Was, I don't think it, it was. I don't think it, no, I don't think it was either. But I enjoyed it. I thought it. bits of it didn't work, but I yeah. love the ambition of it. Oh, my God. It's insane that someone tried that. And when you hear people go, oh, what about the makeup? Who gives a fuck? Did you see the totality of the right. piece? Like, it's it's... It's an achievement. Like, yeah, would you... I mean, and the thing is, like, yeah, some of the makeup wasn't amazing, but they're playing, like, such a diverse... Like, it's not like you're just having to make them older. Right. Like, they were playing different races and different, like... Yes. Yeah, no, I was... I I, kind of... I enjoyed it enough. Like, it was a good plane movie. 
Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I watched a documentary about an Australian singer who I'm not sure you would know, but he's probably maybe... He's like Australia's Bob Dylan. Okay. He's a guy called Paul Kelly. Yeah. And... Um, just an, like a, an amazing artist that I'm a, like a, a really big fan of. Yeah. But it was interesting. I watched this documentary and I, you know, still learnt a little bit yeah. about him. You sure. know, I learned a little bit about, you know, like he, he did heroin for 25 years. and That's amazing on to and me off, that, like, that you do heroin for 25 years. Like, that's a big, but that's also a big he chunk did, of time. He did heroin for 25 years and no one knew he was doing heroin. That's insane. Like, he was just being Paul Kelly, Australian yeah. superstar. That's crazy. Like, functioning heroin addict. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not even sure he was an addict, but I suppose you do it for 25 years. You it's probably... easier if you're a rock star instead of, like, a school teacher. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are certain professions right. that, that it makes it easier to do. Yeah, a security guard. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Faulkner. Um, he's writing some great stuff. He's doing a lot of heroin. <laughs> he's security guarding not he, to the highest. He, high he nods off, and when he's not nodding off, he's writing, and then people are stealing shit because yeah. he's nodding off. Right, but uh, anyway, I, I kind of just reminded me that idea of um, you know creation, that blank slate of like you know you've got to record. So he um, uh, did. A, he had a band called Paul Kelly and the Dots. Now Paul Kelly and the Dots are actually I've heard a lot of their music and is. Is that 60s? Like, what is that? So that would have been 80s, late 70s, 80s? early 80s, okay. I guess. So that was his first band, Paul Kelly and the Dots. And um, they had some success. Mm-hmm. But he disowns both of those records. Okay. Like, he doesn't play stuff from them anymore. And he, and in this documentary, he talked about how embarrassed he is. That's, about That's how uh, Elliot, <coughs> Elliot Smith used to talk about his first band. And I always found it fascinating because I really enjoyed that band. And and you want to go? Hey, no, there's some value there, right? Like you you did something cool. I know it wasn't what you wanted to perfectly, but it's it's all right, right? Yeah. And and I think that as an audience, people ex- can understand. In fact, I think we like to see artists grow. You yes. did this at the start, and now you've become this. Yes. That's interesting to me. Like I'm a big Radiohead fan, and I love that they you know did that sort of thing of going, okay, we're the biggest band in the world now. Now now we're going to kind of go off and do like crazy some shit. crazy shit that yeah. we want to do. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that. I can't enjoy those first albums as well. Right. I enjoy it all. It's yeah. like different. Yeah. And I like that. And so I'm a bit like that with Paul Kelly, but it was interesting to see an artist, even like, you know, someone who's had the great success that Paul Kelly has had to, he was embarrassed by it. Yeah. You know, he was like, ah, oh, I wish that people didn't yeah. like, he, he actually said in it, I wish that people didn't have a recording of, yeah, that time in my life. Yeah. But I'm so glad being a Paul Kelly fan that we we have because it makes the story yeah. better for me. Of course it does. So all that was a very long-winded way of me saying that I think it's really important that your album sounds like how that material <laughs> yes. sounded when yes. you were doing that material. Did, yeah, we, gives people did a, we start talking about that on the podcast or was that before the podcast? No, no, that was the start. That's, okay. why, that's, why, I went, that's why I went back and told that story, Dave. <laughs> I know sometimes it might... I, I don't have it in front of me, so like, I don't know when you started, so I no, don't have a gate. I know sometimes <laughs> it sounds like these are the insane ramblings of a madman. Well, s- well but sometimes the podcast, it feels like like something's been going on before. Right. And you came in a little bit mid. 
Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Which is fine. I, I no, I often... What the problem is, Dave, is I often get... I digress onto a point that I had a good point to make. And mm-hmm. in that case, it was you talking about, you know, leaving your uh, album recording as a legitimate piece of work that represented yes. who you were. And I oh, wanted to yes, talk yes. about the Paul Kelly thing. Yes. And then I got distracted by books and other things. <laughs> <laughs> Halfway through the story, I forgot what I was talking about and had to find my way back with the trailer breadcrumbs I'd left. And finally, when we got to Paul Kelly, I got lost a little bit in the middle and then remembered. And what then I had I no idea where we started. Right. <laughs> okay, right. Now I remember where we started. But yeah, so, th- so we were talking about your album and it being a sort of representation of who you were then. But yeah. now it gives you a terrifying blank space. Well, I mean, look, the album is, uh, I think it's a good album. Yeah, it's I'm, great. I, I am, mean, I was there. It was great. I am proud of it, but yeah. for me, here, here's what I would say about m- me as a stand-up. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not where I, I could be if I had taken a, a little more risk. Right. Does that make sense? Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm not, Maybe this is egotistical. I'm. I feel like I should be better. Right. At well, what I I'm think doing. that I think that a lot of us feel like we should be better. Okay. And I think that's a really healthy thing. Yeah. And then there's. I think there's only two types types of comics really. There's the ones who think they should be better, and they're the ones who think they're heaps better than they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. There's either that. the realistic ones, the mm-hmm. ones who think they should be better, because yeah. we can always be better. Yes. There's always got to be a way we can be better. Yeah. Right. Um, because it's such a hard thing to do that I don't think anyone has ever done it perfectly yet. Yes. You know? So we are all striving to be better. Yeah. Or there are the people who are delusional who don't think you... Don't, have no idea. And right. the people who go up and... You, they're the don't happy have that, people. And the people who don't have that comic's ear where they get off stage and you're like, oh, that was all right. And they're like, I fucking killed! Right. And you're like, I don't know what's happening But you know right what now. those people are, Dave? Happier than us. Very much happier. Much happier. Very happier. Right. <laughs> Um, so, um, so you think that you, you haven't taken as many risks as you should, and I and I think that, and I and I know I haven't, right. and, I, and I know that that's how I was. That's brought where up. the learn the, the the truth is in the risks. Like, yeah, that's where you learn. Like, yes. are in the risks because it's very hard to learn from just doing the same thing that you've always done. And and we had talked about last time you were here. We went out to lunch, and you were like, well, "What do you want to do now?" And I was like, "I want to do more culturally relevant sort of comedy," right. but. I think I, I think I went out and tried that too bluntly and head on right. as opposed to there's other ways to do it. I think I just went straight at it. And then so I was trying material that wasn't like I had, I had a great opening and a great closing, but then all this, the middle right. stuff wasn't really working and it bummed me out. And I went up to the Portland comedy festival and wasn't in the greatest rooms there. Like I, I felt slightly disrespected and then I had bat, and then I didn't like my material, and then it just sort of, sp- and then I started spinning out, and I just right. completely spun out to this point where, like yesterday, I went to see a therapist. Like I'm a fucking mess. Right, and, and your and your wife's a therapist. My wife is a therapist, so you could just get that shit for free. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, if you've had to look for external help, that does seem like yeah. I mean, that, does she have a policy of not yeah, evaluating you? Yeah, she can't. Yeah, she, she can't. can't do that with me. She can't do I that mean, with she you. does, I'm sure, because she's right. trained to, but at the same time, right. no. She In the same way as you're occasionally funny around the house. Yeah, but I'm not doing stand-up. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm bringing her to the kitchen. You go, honey, all right, honey. sit down. I'm going to do something. <laughs> I saw this thing at Taco Bell. You're not going to believe what happened. Um, so, so there's a lot of, it just a lot of shit. It was like someone turned a key. Right. And a lot of shit unraveled. So I'm just kind of a mess. And so, but you're a person who will deal with that through talking about it, through like therapy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is that. Yeah, I won't. Uh, I mean, because it would, I, I it would, would be say, hard, I guess, if you're married to a therapist, uh, to like not go to a therapist if 
Well, I was when we got married. I was in a much better mental health wise. I was in a much better place. Right. I had so worked. It's her I fault. had worked. Is that what you saying? Yeah, it's yeah. Her it's fault. completely yeah. her fault. Her fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's got the skills to destroy you. Uh, you know, I stopped doing the shit that makes me okay. Right. So I just regressed. Right. I and we talked about like I just spend too much time fucking around on the internet. Like I don't I don't spend enough time being creative and actually working. And I'm right now. I'm but is, paralyzed. But it, do you know why? I think in general, I think if you're paralyzed about work, it's because that work you haven't made your work fun. Uh, no, I haven't you know made I mean? my work fun. Like, you know, and if you're talking about like you want to talk about things that I think the best way to do work is to think of work as being like a fun thing to do, a thing yeah. that you would want to do if like, and so it, you've got to be talking about things that you're, uh, are interesting to you. And that's the why shit that you want to be like ranting about on the internet should be the stuff that you're yes. writing about and talking about. And, and, yes. and before what you were saying was that you were like, I wanted to talk about all these new things, but I attacked them head on. Yes. But the truth is, man, if your job as a comedian, isn't just to get an idea and execute it. Your job is, as a comedian is to sometimes work out. Here's an idea I have that I know if I just executed it would be unpalatable to a room full of people, mm-hmm. but I'm going to use my comedy magic yes. to present it in a way that it right. won't be. That's your, actually your job. And I would say, and it's fun. If you think of something really, you're like, I want to get this really like thing blunt point across. Yeah. And then you think I can think of a way to trick an entire audience and people right. of coming on that journey with me, right. then that's when you're doing your job. Yes, and I wasn't doing that with this. I, it, For some reason, I did the album, and then... I mean, I'm, I'm a storyteller now. Right. I, my bits are stories. Yeah. And for some reason, I decided I wasn't going to do that, and I was just going to talk about relevant stuff head-on. And then, and then I went up, and I started talking about Mike Tyson, and it came out as a story. Right. And then I walked off, and this was last week, I walked off, and I'm like, oh, right, I'm a fucking storyteller now. Right. Like, if I if I do come up with something, it's got to be storyish, and and that's why I just started this other podcast where I just talk into a microphone alone because it allows me to flesh out those things right. and just which is also hear. though the last step before therapy generally. <laughs> <laughs> a madman talking into a microphone in his house, right? Yeah, yeah. As soon as they hear one man alone talking into a microphone, <laughs> you normally just get a brochure slipped under the door. Yeah. And also, like, I have created a persona that I don't like. Right. I don't like what I am seen as. But isn't that partly because um, you've let one thing about you define your entire thing? Right? Yes. Because what you don't want to do is suddenly be like, nice, Dave Anthony, because that's not also who you are. That would be like not an honest representation. Right. But when you were talking about the Mike Tyson thing, the idea of the story is, like when you're going direct at an audience, I always feel like you have to be black or white. But the most interesting thing to me comedically is gray area, right? Yes. Like I am so, I love telling a story where like three times in the story I tell you about how I thought this at the start, now I think this. Yeah. And this is the, and then someone else said this and I had to confront it like this. Yeah. And in a story, you can show all the nuance of, I was angry about this, but then I realized I was a dickhead about this. And then I realized that, you know, but so I think stories allow you to go, I'm angry and this is why, Mm -hmm. but also I'm a dickhead and also I'm nice about this and, or whatever. Yeah, completely, completely. So, all right, that's at uh, $75. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, I didn't know it was going to be so steep. (laughs) 
Will you take uh, Will you take cough syrup? Oh yeah, definitely. Seventy five dollars worth of cough syrup for sure. Um, we bought a uh, washing machine um, the other day. Yeah, that's right. I can buy a washing machine. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think you couldn't. Right, yeah. okay, man. I've got my own podcast. I have, I, if someone said, "Can Will Anderson buy a, a washing machine?" I'd, I'd say, "Yeah." Yeah, I think he's completely without capable. thinking about without, it. Yeah, well, on like a whim. Yeah. I was like, "Whatever, yeah. whatever." We just went into one shop. We didn't I mean, even shop around. So you take risks, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I take risks. Um, so yeah, I had to buy a new washing machine, and it came with a uh, year's supply of washing powder. Oh, right. That was just part of the deal. In, in like a. Like, do you, do you go and get it? When no, you it all just comes with the washing machine. So it's just like a big box of... Well, it's a, like a, a box of smaller boxes. Like, you know, so, so you get it all at once. All, what, all at once. What is it, like a load a week? Like, what do they consider a, a year? You know what? I don't know. A considerable amount. Okay. Like, a lot. Yeah. I would have thought at least to the value of the washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Might be tough times in the washing machine industry. I'm yeah. not really sure. Yeah, it's been a long time since I bought a washing machine. Yeah, I don't think I don't think people do it all the time. Right. I don't think it's like a hey, we need a new washing machine every year. Right. Yeah. You just get one when the other one breaks, yeah. right? Yeah. About eight years ago, I got one. Right. So That's about right. Yeah. I haven't been really shopping around in the washing machine industry, but. Might be tough times because they're We're giving, giving away, away some good deals. Yeah, and a dog. Right. And it was a $900 washing machine reduced to 500 in the start. Ooh. So, That's interesting. Right. Last year's model. I think it was. Yeah. But you know what? I don't need to keep up to date with... No, you know... I'll just pretend I bought it last year. Washing machines are not something that you're like, I got to get the top of the line. Right. It's not an iPad. Yeah. People aren't like, oh, yeah, have you got the... Yeah, it's got Siri. You <laughs> <laughs> can just talk to your washing machine. <laughs> Um, so, uh, anyway, lifetime, so, uh, like a, a year supply of uh, washing powder was was quite exciting. Yeah. That was all I was really saying. Why did I say that? <laughs> Why did you say it? It was something about stockpiling things. There was... You, no, it was we, probably about how I, I think going back to the original topic, right, which good. being that you, as as a stand-up, you, if you're not prolific, you're living in material that is stockpiled. Right. It's your old stuff. It's your old and stuff. And it reminds you of where you were and what your thought was. Now, yes. I, I find it interesting you say that with your album because when I did my DVD, and it's the only one I've done, mm-hmm. um, and because I didn't really enjoy the process very much. I don't. I kind of always think of stand-up as... I, I always think that when you do um, a stand-up recording, well, for me, and it, it almost has to be the last time I ever do any of those jokes. That's how I feel. Because I'm scared, mostly, that if I do those jokes again, I'll come up with a better way to do it, and then I'll just spend a lifetime regretting... I already have right. a couple of those bits. I'm like, holy shit, this is an interesting little right. area. I when people buy your album, you should uh, give them like a phone number they can ring. <laughs> like it's a recording of you. Extended just bits. Update, updating that bit. <laughs> or they can download a free bit. You should actually just, as an extra bonus, if people listen to the album, they can download a, like just small director's commentary. Just read as it. you just fixing bits. <laughs> just Imagine if right here I had said, "It gets better." Right. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps getting better. No, you're. I think you're right about that. I think that's an interesting. Yeah, I always, I always like to say to people, it's a bit like a river. Like, if you jump into a river at the same spot every day, it looks like it's the same spot. But yeah. that, 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 the jokes are kind of always flowing on and mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, becoming something else. So um, when I did my DVD, I changed my entire style afterwards. Oh, you did? Yeah. 
Like I used to, because I'm... What, when did you do your DVD, first of all? So, five years ago and now, did you just go back and grab stuff from a bunch of your shows? So, or? basically, I, what I did with my DVD was, uh, I did the show, the, the, the show that I was touring at the time. Mm-hmm. It was called Willosophy. And um, so I did like 70 minutes of that, which was essentially just that show, but yeah. it was the show I'd been touring all year. Mm-hmm. And it was the best... By the way, it, it was the best stuff I'd written up until that point, right. mostly, anyway. Mm-hmm. And then I did an extras at the Sydney Comedy Store. I did the main one at the Sydney Opera House, and I did an extras at the Sydney Comedy Store where I did a best of, like, another 60, 70 minutes of just what I considered to be my best other stuff up until that point because right. it was my first DVD. So right. I thought I'd just put some of that stuff on the record, you know. Yeah. And so I did those two shows, and then I completely changed my style. Your style? Yeah. In what way did you change your style? Well, even like to what were you? What were you then? Well, I I, be, I also became a lot more storytelling. Uh huh. Like you know, I really I in think, the old days I would either tell stories or do bits. Yeah. And what I do mostly these days, if people see me, is I do bits within stories. Sure. So like, yes. if I have something to talk about, it will like you know you could I could lift bits out and just do them as bits. Yes. But I tell them in the context of a story. You know, it's like the first time you saw me, you were like that was like one big story. Right. Yeah, it all fits together, and it's like... But there's still you're bits. Doing, you're doing bits inside of a story, and it's a whole thing. And it, it was a 20-minute story, but if you'd had to lift five minutes out of it for a TV spot, you could lift five that yeah. would just work as a bit. Right. Right? And yeah. that's kind of what I do now. But in the past, that was a bit separate. Mm-hmm. But I made, like, uh, stylistic choices that are different. For example, because I was quite high energy on stage, mm-hmm. um, I used to work with, like, a headset mic, and I would use the energy, so, I, like, I would... Yeah, go from side to side, like, and I would be big, and yeah. I would like shout a lot, and I'd be like, you know, kind of that Lewis Blackie sort of sure. like, you know, cause your high energy, uh-huh. use the high energy. Yeah. But instead, what I realized was, I thought that was like too much. You know, it wasn't yeah. quite connecting with people in the way that I wanted it to. It's not really who you are, right? Yeah, it's not. Right. So what I did instead was, I now always use a, a corded microphone in the stand. Like, I never even take the microphone out of the stand. Yeah. And I use that as like it's my it's an anchor for my energy. Right. So then I can, if I want to be big, if you're big just in front of a microphone that anchors you to where you are, or if I want to go somewhere, I have to drag the whole thing over. It gives... More of an impact. Right. It's more of an impact. So, and then that slowed me down, Mm -hmm. which was great, because then I could, as in like I could connect with people more. And, you know, it just made me really, really different. Like stylistically, I think if you watch my old DVD Mm -hmm. and you watch me now... It's a different, yeah, you found well, your for voice. me, I, yeah, yeah, totally. And it took me—I've been doing comedy like thirteen yeah, years about, or that's something. That's about right. Right. That's but that's then. usually. It's about and long it took me. There would be people. So to get back to that point that we were making, there there are people who because I've never watched that DVD. I mean, I was there when it was recorded, but sure. I've never watched it. Back. I don't think I would either. Right. Yeah. And there's people who, like, you know, who message me still today who are just picking up now who are like, oh, my God, I watched that. Or if it's on the television, you know, if it runs on the comedy yeah. channel or whatever. You get emails from people going, oh, my God, that's brilliant. You're brilliant uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. And you're like, to me, it's so embarrassing. Yes. To me, I wish it didn't exist. Yes. But I'm glad it exists for people who... It's a moment in time, right? right? And you've just got to embrace who you were and who you're going to be. Yeah. So that's hard to do, though, when you go, all right, well, I've got rid of all the stuff that's me so far. Now, who's me now? Yeah, and especially when, like, I think a lot of my, I think a lot of my comedy on that album is easy. Right. In a way. Like, it's not, like... I no think, comedy is easy, by the way. But I think, for me, I took the easy right. route on a lot of stuff. I want to work cleaner. I want to work oh, okay. m- more intelligently. 
Um, it's easy to go to the shit joke or the bodily function joke or whatever it is. And I think a lot of the album, you know, there's a reason I'm talking about birth. Right. And, you know, there's a reason I'm talking about my, my kid having a heart on and running around. Like, it's it's an easier area to go to. Right. But there's still a truth and a connection there. Yeah. Like, I, you are talking I, I, about... I that, the, I'm very It wasn't like you were bits. just like, what's the deal with birth? Right. You were talking about things that actually happened in your and life. And how I felt about right. it. And, like, yeah. There's a bit in my current show about cats and dogs being different. Like, literally, the hackiest comedy topic of all time. <laughs> like, the number one hackiest comedy topic of all time here. Is cats and dogs are different, and here's why. And I didn't want to put it in the show, and yeah. it worked really well. And uh, and then someone, uh, I was talking to someone about it, and like another comic, and I was mm-hmm. saying, like, I just want to drop that cats and dogs bit because I just like you know just because of the fact that it's, it's considered dogs. a hack, hacky yeah. topic. And he said, you have always in your shows talked about your cats. And now you have a dog and you are talking about, from your perspective, how you were always a cat person, Mm. but now you have a dog, how you're dealing with that and what your feelings about those things are. Yeah. He said, you're just telling a truth about your life. Right. Don't, like, you know. Just because it's material that is, a lot of people have talked about, doesn't mean that you can't own it. If you're having a legitimate, like, you know, if you're connected to it legitimately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's like a lot of people have talked about birth, but you tell you tell that story from your perspective yes. of what happened, you yes. know. So I think that's legitimate. Yeah, I agree with that. And and that and that bit, I would say, is more those two bits. I would say is more the area I want to go to. Right. They're long bits. It'd be very weird who I am. if you'd done that birth bit ten years ago. Yes, because your son he hadn't even been born. Like, <laughs> it's a weird bit to be doing. <laughs> so I, I think that. Uh, like I, I just, I just, I made a misstep in in trying to create my material out of the stand up after the album, and I now and I now am back on track, and I, I know what bits I want to do, and I know that well work for me. Well, I think I tried too much. Right, like, I'm going to do this, and you know, fuck it, whatever. But more of my problems right now are the off the like my persona on. Twitter or in the, on the podcast, like you said, I'm not. I'm not actually right. So, do you feel trapped guy. inside, like the persona? Is that what it is? No, I don't. I just don't like. I don't like what I'm doing. Right. I don't like who I am being on that in those arenas. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. You don't like it at all. So, why are you being like that? I've then? stopped. I'm not right. going to do it anymore. And who knows how people are going to respond? Right. But I'm not. I'm not going to be the mean guy on Twitter anymore. I'm not going to. It just. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. It feels bad. It feels bad to do it. It doesn't feel bad to let it go. Or does it feel bad? No, it doesn't to, feel bad to let it go. Right. It's not a. It's not a good thing to be doing. Right. But but, but how much of it was honest? I think here's what I would say. Uh, I would say that uh, again, it's easy. Right. It's honest in the sense that that's how I was raised. Right. You know, my dad is, you know, it's not... So a lot of parents he's a, of that... He's genera- a drunken lawyer. And a lot a, of those parents of that generation did not understand the ramifications of the actions would have on the Twitter sphere. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, feel like, I feel like many of them did not even take that into account when they were raising their children. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they did right? not think about it. Didn't think I about mean, it. And there were... There were child psychologists out there right. like Dr. Zeus saying warning about the Twitter sphere hey 
this is going to be a problem on Twitter yeah. down the line. And then the parents will say, what the fuck is Twitter? Yeah. And you just go, trust me. Yeah. I've been to the future. Unfortunately, Dr. Seuss then drew Twitter as a giant bird. And then he became an ape. Right. And they, <laughs> and they ruled the planet. Right. It's a really fucked... His story is really fucked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So how does the... like? So basically... Basically, what we're talking about here is a, uh, and it's almost the opposite of everything we believe in in the Tofop Fopop universe, but we're talking about a Dave Anthony non gritty reboot. <laughs> I think I want to go back to the Adam West Batman. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you, you, you're going to still be a little bit violent, but it's going to be like a Kapow sort of violence. Yeah, I'm just going to change some things. Right. I, you can't, and the other thing is, is like defining yourself by one thing is a really bad idea. Because right. you change over time, and I'm I'm I, I love Anthony Jacelic. I think he's a very funny comedian. But the way he's defining himself right, right now, I can look at and say, you might have a really hard time in ten years right. when if, the show's gone and you've grown up a little bit and changed. You don't want to have to be mean about everything right. all the time. Oh no! Like because there was a point in my life where, like, and I get that as well because I did a, a, a television show in Australia called The Glass House, which. Mm-hmm. We were mean about a lot of things. Yeah. You know, our attitude was like equal opportunity discriminators, but it was very, you know, it was everybody, we can make jokes about everybody and everything, and it doesn't matter if they're good jokes or bad jokes. Like, that was kind of the attitude of the show. Yeah. And I made a lot of choices on that show that I wouldn't make now. I wouldn't want to be trapped into the idea that I was the guy who was like, you know, here he goes. Yeah. Like, I, I had someone hit me up on Twitter the other day to get, like, because I wasn't tweeting about a particular topic. Like, something big was happening, you oh, know, yeah. and I was like, they were like, were you comments on the new Pope or whatever? Yeah, like, you know, yeah. and I was like, oh, oh I didn't realize Twitter was compulsory now. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I've had, I've had people be like, are you going you, you gonna to do something about this? And I'm like, what am I going to do? What do you mean? You, uh, but uh, if I'm interested, I will. Yeah. But I don't want to have to be trapped into the idea that I am that. Like, I mean, I think, to use a really, like, full-on example, I look at someone like, a, like an Andrew Dice Clay or whatever, uh-huh. right, who, like, has a moment where they capture that sort of zeitgeist sort of idea, yes. and, but then you're just trapped being Andrew Dice Clay yeah. for the rest of your life. And you could grow and become... I don't know much about Jim Jeffries, but what if he meets a great woman and gets married? He has. He's already married? Well, I think he's married. He's just had a kid. See, that's odd to me because you watch the the act and it seems like he has venom for women as they exist. Right. So to me, that's like, then is he being honest? Like, I don't know him at all, so I'm just... What's interesting, like, because I've seen, like, I mean, I don't know Jim very well either. Um, But, you know, he's always been a nice enough guy to me and whatever. Mm. And um, I've seen him, like, kill and watch his skills and, like, you know, but I don't... I don't connect to the material that much just because we have very different attitudes yes. to things. Not because I don't think it's, you know... No, it's, ca- it's, it's capable of decent stand-up. Oh, man, it's, it's killing. Like, it's yeah. killing. It's like, and it, it kick ass, and I, and I know heaps of people who are massive fans of his. Yeah. So I don't mean... It's just not the same... You know, if anyone's seen my act and they've seen his, they understand that we just yeah. have different things that we like to talk about. That's yeah. fine. Um, and... Uh, but it is, like, interesting... Uh, I don't know. What was well, can you so 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 you're Jim Jeffries, right? Or Andrew Dice Clay? I mean, those are right. Those well, are if, I'm, if I'm Jim but, Jeffries, but, but I'm not have, doing a podcast with you here, right? But you, I'm have, somewhere rolling around in money. <laughs> His life is heaps better. But you have you have you have made a small sliver of space for you to working, right? Right. Like, and so you do so, have to stay in that. I mean, there is a point sometimes where I imagine that even like you probably outgrow your audience. 
Yeah, like, I and would your think audience so. are keeping you. Like, even if you wanted to move somewhere else, they're keeping you there. They're keeping you there, and yeah. that, and then that's very hard because you're scared. Well, if I move away from here, I lose my audience. And you must have at least a little bit of that fear about even like the Angry Dave. It's like there's well, obviously they, some people uh, who really like Angry Dave. He, yeah, they do. Here's the interesting thing: is that if if that went away, like say I. And my plan is to not be as... And, of course, I'm going to rant once in a while because right. that's, that's part of who I am. Like, yeah. that does come out. But the, but there's also an overkill of it. Like, right. it, it goes too much. Yeah. You just want to water down that cordial a little. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so, if, if I did change, I don't think it's, I don't think it's as, as visible on the, on the album or my comedy as it is on the podcast right. or on Twitter or other places. Yes. So, so what I'm actually losing is not like if people turn off the podcast because I'm being nicer. Well, I don't know what to say about that. Like, right. you know, it, that sorry. Like, um, I'm being, I'm being they, a nicer they, person. They already have a lot of issues. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, there's some other stuff. If that's going all they're clinging to. They already have some other issues. <laughs> and then you know, who gives a Twitter? So people, I stop being mean, and I already have. Like, I'm already writing, like trying to write jokes that are just funny, as opposed to like you know attacking whoever being. You know, mean to politicians or whatever the fuck I do. Yep. Like that's all. Like um, that's hopefully. Of course, I'm going to blow up every once in a while when there's a, a gun. But three, that's three people get killed in a in a school. I'm going to get upset and but spew. The, but like, here's the thing: is that I think that um, that will then have more impact. Yes, because it's hard for people to take you as you know passionately or seriously about when there's you know kids with guns uh, when you've just showed the same amount of venom to person of interest. That is completely true. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, you know, there's still going to be stuff that bothers me, and I'll, and I'll tweet about it. But, I'm, like, I'm not going to – you won't see me fighting with Mark Maron anymore. You won't see me, like, just engaging with people and getting into fights. And, like, and I even have to stop. Like, people always come in and go, you're fucking stupid and you suck, and I'll, I'll make a comment and then block them. I mean, I just have to block them. You know right. what I mean? I have to change everything I'm doing because – I don't feel good about myself. Right. So that's the thing, isn't it? It's that idea of going to work and be feeling, you know, you've got to feel good. Yeah. Because if you're not feeling good about what you're doing, and I, I, I know I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but it's my thing that I always, it's about guys who do I hate my wife comedy. Uh-huh. It's my least favorite type of comedy. It's not real, right? Well, it can't be because if you look at I hate my wife comedy, it's either one of a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Either you're lying. Yeah. So firstly, why would you want a job where you, you love your wife, but you go out to a comedy club and you talk about how much you hate her? Right. That's that, a terrible. That can't make that's you terrible. Yeah. Um, or secondly, you hate your wife. <laughs> if you hate your wife that much, as well, much as you're saying, don't get married. Be be unmarried to her. Be happy. Be happier because you really hate your wife. Well, it's like you hate your wife so much you've written well constructed jokes about about it. twenty minutes. Right, just file some divorce papers. <laughs> Write some jokes about something else. And she's got to feel really good. Right. About it. Let's all yeah. This you is, can't. I can never look at my wife and go, it's just material. Right. I couldn't do that. Why would you, though? No, it's but also, insane. the minute that an audience thinks it's just material, like, the audience have got to think it's... A guy... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a guy stopped me from fucking driving home from a gig the other night because I'd done... I'd only had one beer. Like, I'd had a beer when I was on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was doing a bit about, like, addiction and about drinking beer and about, like, you know, my relationship with, like, you know, substances and stuff. Yeah. And then I went down and got into the car... And the dude stopped me and he was like, you, I can't let you drive. <laughs> and I was like, well, at least the bit's convincing. <laughs> at least when I'm doing it, they're connecting to a truth. 
I am fine to drive, but I've convinced this guy I'm an alcoholic, wow. so... That's amazing. Right, yeah. The bit doesn't quite work yet, but apparently yeah. the truth in the bit works. I think, I think if you watch me on stage and you listen to me on the podcast, I, I wonder if it sounds like a little bit of two different people. Right. Because I feel like I'm not that angry on stage. I think that I... I, I um, when I listen to you here and I listen to you on your podcast... It's different. It's very different. Yeah. Because all I get there is like, you know, there is a, like a lot of, I mean, you, essentially Dave on Walking the Room would be the world's worst theatre sports player. Oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of yes and. No. <laughs> I agree with that. There's a lot of no get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> world's worst improviser. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. So what is it that you want to talk about? That's the interesting thing. That's what people... Like, I mean, what is it that when you sit down and you go, what the legitimate thing that I have to share with other people, what is that? What do well, you want to start talking about? I don't know what that is. Like, I, I just think that there are things to me that strike me as, like, odd. Like, I like, like I can give the two examples that I've talked about on the podcast I'm doing called The Dollop. One is, is like, society's reaction to Mike Tyson. Right. Like, to me, that's fascinating. The, the, the fact that we've just gone, ah... Yeah. We know you raped someone, but you're in the hangover. So. Yeah, and and just like he, his, his trail of destruction is is horrifying. Do you, why do you think that people do? Is it the high voice? <laughs> I don't. You do know, you feel that, sorry for the high voice? That might be part of it, right. but I also think that people feel like you know he lost all his money, right? And, and he and all these mates sad, ripped sad. him off. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah, so for some reason you forgive him for all of his other things, but and which is fine, you can forgive him, but I think it's weird to put him on this pedestal and go right. hey you get to be in show business again like that to me is how about you just go get a job somewhere and you work at the job and that's what you have to do now right so, he came out to Australia recently and did like a thousand dollar a head sort of you know motivational really? yeah, one of those things where you come and you get your photo taken with Mike Tyson and there was a bit of debate about because uh, well, surprisingly, me, despite the history of Australia, we now have a lot of laws about people coming in who are criminals. Yeah. So often you can't get a visa to come and like, visit Australia. And yeah. that, some people are a bit angry he got let in because he's a convicted rapist. So, Well, yeah, and he bit a guy. and he, Well, not just a convicted rapist. You can like, get in Australia if you've bitten a guy. <laughs> that is, that's fine. You can bite a guy. Can't bring, can't bring any fruit. It might be easier to get. You can bite a guy. <laughs> Normally, if you've raped somebody, we're like, no. Yeah, you would think of rape. Mike Tyson, apparently yes, and I. I've been used to beat up old ladies. Like he's not a, it's not a good person, right? But you know what? Also, he raped someone. Yeah, he raped. Like someone. so, I don't even, I, like it's literally one of those things. Normally, for me, I don't need to know all the other things. Yeah, like literally, if you've raped somebody and you've done none of those other things. That's yeah, you're you, right. you're all, you, you still can't come in. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and if you've raped someone and you've done all those things, yeah, all those things are bad. Yeah. But you know what? You raped someone. You did rape So someone. you've already won at being the baddest. Yeah, we don't really... You're you, terrible. You wouldn't be like, hey, you raped someone? Come right. over. We don't need extra stuff as well. I wouldn't invite him into my house. Right. No. Uh, I am anti-rape, and this yeah. podcast is anti-rape. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Despite the, the amount of times we talk about prison, about prison rape. rape yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole different topic. <laughs> Um, and then, and then I also talked about the the. I, I find it fascinating the Pope washing people's feet and the reaction to it. Uh, because of the, do you think because of the? It's clearly a marketing ploy because what they've done is, like you know, um, they've taken like obviously the old Pope. There was a lot of trouble with the old Pope. Uh-huh. Um, there's a brilliant movie out at the moment which I can't remember the name of. I wish I could plug it, but. Um, uh, an Australian, um, Jeffrey Robinson, uh, who was an Australian lawyer who lives in the UK, but he, 
wrote this amazing book about the, the trials into the Catholic Church, particularly in Ireland, and the systematic cover-up of all those things. But it's the one about the deaf children. There was a wow. uh, priest at a deaf school, mm-hmm. and he was molesting the deaf kids. Yeah. And because he was the one who um, also would translate oh, the kids to gee. their parents. Oh, God. Right. And it was like, Jeez. yeah, it was like a lot of kids as well. Like That's it was horrifying, right? Horrifying. Yeah. So this is this movie's all about this, and it goes through all the, the you know the trials and court cases. Mm-hmm. But Pope Benedict was the person who was in charge of, you know, uh, putting those priests out of business right. at the time. That was right. his job, and he was the guy who said just move him somewhere else. And yeah, he would like, just say, uh, right? you know what, you should go to another school. So uh, there's, there's been a lot of speculation. That the reason that Pope Benedict st- stepped down is just because of how deep in all this other stuff he is. So the Catholic Church have done... And, and I would say this, Pope Benedict was loved by the traditionalists. Right. He, he brought back a lot of traditional Catholics. Right. And so yeah. the new pub comes in. Right. And apparently he didn't, when he was introduced to the world on the balcony, he didn't wear a cape. No, he didn't. And they were all like, what? Yeah, he just wore his What CVs. the fuck is that? And he, then, he said it was casual Friday. And then, yes. Muff, muff today. <laughs> yeah, do- he had dockers on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That was his first pronouncement as Pope. Uh, Vatican now has casual Friday. <laughs> you don't have to. You can drape the sweater yeah. over your shoulders. Right. You can tie it up. But we're doing we're, sweaters. Yeah, it's a donation, though. <laughs> we have to donation for charity. And then, and then the next thing he did was when, I guess then right after that, the Cardinals swear obedience. Yep. And usually you stand on a, on a little, like, I don't know, it's like a fancy little, you know. Pope stool. Pope stool or whatever. Yeah, Pope stool. And he refused to get on that. Yeah. He said he'd do it from the floor. And yeah. I was like, oh. Scared of heights. And then he Godless. and then he started washing feet yeah. of the poor. Right. And they were like, what? And they were upset with that right. because I guess that had changed somehow. Right. And then he went. Because he, he, uh, the old Pope didn't wash any poor people's I, feet. I guess he didn't. No, I they guess. all had um, like Gucci sunglasses and stuff. Like, the old Pope, seriously, the old Pope was, like, totally fucking bling. Like, they'd spent, like, he was one of the highest spending Popes. Well, I was confused by it because the traditionalists said that that, that Pope Benedict was following the example of uh, Assisi. Mm. But Assisi was this, as I recall from history, was this guy who saw the lavish spending and the, and the keeping of, of, of boys as, as, as sex tools and, and all that shit as, as wrong. And he went Oh, that's and he went Francis back. Assisi, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they were talking about uh, Gregory Assisi. <laughs> he loved fucking kids. Total kid fucker from way back. Okay, so Expensive I'm just glasses confused. and fucking kids. I'm just confused about Assisi. Assisi. Oh, right. Okay, never mind. No, no, never a, mind. That is actually a very common, <laughs> very common mistake. Uh, <laughs> so the new pope um, also catches the bus. He's a bus catcher. Is he really? Yeah, because he's he's a Jesuit and he took a vow. Like he sold things about right, like Jesuit. Poverty. He's the first Jesuit, right? Yeah, and he's also yeah. um, like they ha- remember this guy called Jesus. Yeah, who did things like washing poor people's feet, and right? Stuff. So, like for tips, like a lot of people don't mean that. That's not mentioned in the Bible, and but Jesus did wash poor people's feet, but did accept tips. Yes, yeah, <laughs> tidings he called them. But. So he washed a girl. He washed two girls' feet, which to me is there's a part of me that's like, don't don't wash girls' feet. Like no, no, wash girls' feet. No, but that comes into the pedophile thing. Like no, it doesn't. Oh, you went in. You went. Oh, he no. went into a juvenile hall and he. I washed. think it's much worse if he's if he's washing boys' feet because most well, of he the washed boys' feet is, too. He went into right. a juvenile hall no, okay. and washed a bunch of boys' feet. Right, and then he washed two girls' feet, right. and that's like that's like he's just getting them ready. <laughs> it's like he's just preparing them. You know? <laughs> Like, like when they were in the enclave, some of the other popes were like, we'll vote for you if you clean up those poor children. Yes. <laughs> <For> <laughs> clean us. them off. 
so that kind of stuff fascinates right. me, and that's the kind of stuff I think I need to be talking. It's a rebranding of the Catholic Church, so that's what it is. Yeah, because they understand that, like what they've got in trouble for recently is that whole idea of. So they're doing their gritty reboot, you know, like the whole thing right. about it. Because what they're also whitewashing is the fact that this new pope, despite the fact that he's, because he's what he's doing, he's doing a lot of like public appearance stuff. Yeah, like he's PR, on the public right? PR, right? Yeah. So he's washing feet and he's catching the bus and he's. But you know, what he's also still doing not thinking gay people should be able to get married or people right. should be well, having Oh yeah, abortion. all that shit is still. So yeah. what they're doing is kind of like a they're like a you know a power company that sponsors the Olympics or they're uh-huh. you know they're the local nuclear plant putting putting in a park. That's what they're doing at the moment. Yeah. They're, and and by washing the feet of these girls, right. all the traditions was like immediately went to oh my god, he's going to let women be priests. Like right. it's that kind of insane like hysteria that they're reacting to it. I don't know. It's it's just a very I, I find washing other people's feet to be bizarre. Right. I don't like. I don't want to touch other people's feet. Yeah, but he's the pope. I know, but that, the other part of me. Uh, but there's two. There's two ways of looking. I don't. Maybe that's how he pitched himself. I don't, I don't in the want. Life. He was like, uh, I love feet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I don't want an old man washing my feet. Why? Because I think it's weird. I don't want. I love an old man to wash my feet. Just some old. You want some old guy to wash your feet? I mean, okay in, a, in a controlled environment, <laughs> someone I trust, like a celebrity, about, like about, the Pope. What about like a bench? Yeah, but then, but then the Pope comes in, and what if you're like, ah, I'm not comfortable with this? But then there's always, you know, then, then there's people watching, so you can't pull out of a Pope foot washing, right? Uh, why would you pull out of it? That's a story you tell for the rest of your life. I don't know. You might be uncomfortable with it. You might. What if you start having sex with someone? And you're like, oh, I don't really like this, and then you stop. Like, uh, it's like foot pope rape a little bit. Oh, I don't think it is. Well, because man, that person at that point is committed, and they can't say no. I'm not down. Have with you this. ever had someone massage your feet? Yeah, but uh, someone that I enjoy, not an old man who comes swinging by. He's the Pope. I know he's the Pope. Right. But the the uh, there's been you got to do that for there the story. A, there aren't a lot of great popes for the story. I mean, come on, man. No, okay. You're self-sabotaging your own career if you won't let the Pope wash your feet. If the Pope was going to wash my feet as a stand That's your next album. I would say yes. your next album. Yes. I would have, and then I'd have another seven. But, (laughs) but the, but the, but as a person, I don't want an old man coming by and washing my feet. How old? Are you ageist? Or is it a man? No, I don't really want anybody washing my feet, but I just think it's weirder if they're older. Because then it's, yeah, then it seems like a creepy thing. You would never get like a pedicure or like uh, something like that. No. You, you just don't like people touching your feet. No, I don't want people touching my feet. That's I don't weird. get it. I don't get it. But I also think it would be cool if every boss had to wash people, their employees' feet. On casual Friday. Mm-hmm. Just once a week. Mm-hmm. For charity. Like Movember. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like Movember. <laughs> That's so, a thing here, isn't it? Movember? Movember? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's the kind of I you know there's this weird there's this weird thing. So what are you, so are you going to start washing your audience's feet? Is that, yeah, what, is that the point the of that whole story? I think I think it ends with me washing their feet in the lobby. Right. Yeah. That's the closer of your Edinburgh out. But that, but you asked the kind of stuff I'm interested in. That's yeah. the kind of stuff I'm interested. In. I think that we had talked about it and I said, "Well, I want to I want to make fun of the whole corporate culture and stuff, but that's just I don't know. That's just like too like heady. Like I'm going to go do this." Right. I, you know, when you write a new joke, do you still get that flutter of like excitement? Um, or does that that's, that recedes with time, right? You remember when you were starting out and you write a new joke and you almost couldn't sleep, right? So that's gone. Yeah, so that's a long way gone for me. Yeah, I am excited occasionally when I, you know, what my favorite thing is. 
<laughs> but, uh, we've spoken uh, on the podcast before about the fact that my car got stolen. Yes. And uh, I wrote a bit uh, for this show about my car getting stolen. Oh, good. And it goes well. Yeah. And the thing that excites me about that is that if I tell that joke enough, eventually I'll be able to buy a new car. <laughs> And so I literally, every time that joke gets a laugh, I think, well, at least the fact that it got stolen will somehow pay for the next car. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I think. But, you know, but it, I, I think the hardest thing is working out what it is that you really want to say or what it is that you're passionate about talking about every night. Well, yeah. And then the writing should come okay after that. Yeah, it should. Because you should just be able to empty out your brain of whatever you think about it. Yes. Which is where I'm at, I guess. I, th- I, I think I need to do more things this year. That was my observation of my show this year. What do you year. mean, like, you need to I need live to, life I have more? I need to live my life a bit more. Well, yeah. Because when I sat down to write my show this year, what I realised was I'd spent pretty much the last year, like, I could have told stories of, like, I mean, I could have, we talked on the podcast about that day I had in, you know, Toronto with my passport yeah. and stuff. I mean, that could have been a bit, but I didn't really want to spend a year like talking right. about a trip I had to Toronto. It's right. not what I'm legitimately interested in talking about right. over and over and over. But I did get to my show and I went, oh, a lot of the things that I'm talking about are the same things, like they're new jokes, but they're similar topics to things I was talking about last year. Because when you're, right. when you're talking about your life, your life doesn't necessarily go, okay, so 2012 was the year my hips hurt. 2013 uh, was the year, like, you know, yeah. your hips still hurt. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Um, I need to do more stuff, I think. I need to put myself in situations like, I think I'm doing enough comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I'm taking the risks I need to take on stage. Yeah, you need to live life. I need to take some more risks in my life so that I have legitimate things to talk about, you know, sure. that are interesting to people. Yeah. And that I am pushed into situations where I have new thinking and I'm thinking about, you know. And, and I need to do the same thing. I, I am... I mean, that's, to me, the biggest... All your wife needs to have another baby. Because that bit is good. So I think think that's a problem with... I mean, obviously, podcasting is... is, You don't live your life, in a way. You you know, it's it's another internet thing that you're doing that is, is isolating and secluding. Except that, I think that podcasting... You know, it was also a way to work out... Like, I mean, there wasn't much in my show that came from the podcast because I like to think they're separate things. But there are a couple of stories or things that at least... I, even if I'd talked about them on, you know, this story one way on here and then I'd taken it on the stage and I'd done a different execution of it, uh-huh. I always felt like that's one of those things where I'm like, well, at least I'm recording... Because there's a bunch of things that happen in your life that you'd love to talk about. Yeah. Like, I'm glad we talked about that story of me losing my passport. It was a fun mm-hmm. story to talk about. Yeah. I just don't want to have to talk about it... Every night. Every night, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but I'm also glad that it wasn't just never... I never didn't get discussed. to do something with yeah. it. So podcast is good for that. You just have to kind of work out like what it is that like, oh, this belongs in the podcast, and then what is it that I want to take on the stage, or what, it, you know, right. or what stuff do I want to save for on the stage, or yeah. whatever it is. But, but that just helps you make better choices, right? I think that's true. Right? I agree with that. But I, but you're right about living your life. Like I think that's. Another, By the way, this is not like a podcast. This is like a director's commentary of a podcast. <laughs> that's what I've decided this is today. This is the director's commentary of a podcast that we're not doing. Uh, uh, I would say that I I feel the same way. If I need to live my life more, 
Definitely. Yeah. Like I need to get out and have experiences and actually enjoy life because it's very easy now to sit there on the internet and just fuck around all day and, you know, not actually go and experience. No, go, I, I would, I'm much more apt to sit on the inter- internet and fuck around than I am. Go call up someone up and go, Hey, you want to have lunch? Right. Like that's just, that means you're not really living life. But also as a comedian, like so often an idea, like, I mean, I think comedy is such a weird job because you write and perform in isolation, yes. but at the same time, a lot of the sparks, a lot of the good sparks come out of collaboration, come out of a moment where yes. you and someone else were having a laugh about something or you yeah. thought of an idea because your brain got sparked into that moment. Yeah. So, like, you do need to be around people. Yes. If you're writing, the best thing you can do is write all day and then go out and have a drink or something with someone because the ideas you're thinking about will be there. You yeah, know, germinate. And you can, right. Yeah. yeah. But you don't. You're like... I mean, I understand it. Like, you spend a lot of time by yourself and you, yeah. you stop doing things. Yeah. I th- and people I, stop inviting you to things because you're not there. I would say that's what that's the main problem with my life right now is I've stopped doing things. No. Yeah. And that just leaves other things fester and then, yeah. And that's why, honestly, I'm being, I'm so mean right now is because I'm not being as socially aware right. with other people. And, I, you know, I'm mad at myself, so then it comes out at other... I've, found, I've had a really confronting thing, because I don't like to really... Um, I'm not good at uh, small chat. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, yeah I'm not and I'm not good at... So I'm, I'm not a... Like, I don't love going to a party where I don't know people. Like, if there's someone I know... Yeah, I don't like going to a party I don't know people. I don't right. need no any reason... There's no reason for me to go to those, because I end up just standing there awkwardly feeling weird. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm not the sort of person who's like, hey... If, if there's a choice between staying home and going out, who's like, yeah, and that's the only choice. You know, it's like some people are just like, let's go out because yeah. it's out. I, I, I am not like that. Um, I, I find it um, hard to do small chat and shit like that. And um, Which I think people find fascinating because they would think comedians are really good at it because they think we just talk all the time. Right. But most comedians actually aren't. No. I mean, I have a very simple way I like to communicate with people. You yeah. all gather. Give me some money. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know what I think for an hour, and then you can all go about whatever you were doing before this. <laughs> there, we chatted. We chatted, but you listen to me. Yeah, right. I, I look, don't get me wrong. I'll prepare the thoughts. My chat. I'll try many of yeah. these thoughts out on people who've paid a lot less than you. Hey, guys, I've got the chat. I'll get, a, I'll get this bit. <laughs> we're all here. You guys... All right, cool. Have you passed over your money? Cool. All right. Here are some, here are some pre, pre-prepared thoughts I have. <laughs> I, I, I wonder now, knowing you better and having been to Melbourne, how I would handle a festival. Right. Because I, I talked to Greg about it, and, you know, I think we don't write as much material over here, obviously. Yeah. And so when you do a week, you're tired of it by the end of the fucking week right you're tired of that material but you've also been doing that material for two years or whatever it's not like a high turnover rate louis has a high turnover rate now and i think Patton does because they're trying to write almost the same way you guys do yeah the australians or british comedians have had to do for years and to me i feel like i'm facing that having done the album yeah and it's terrifying that's good (laughs) it's good it's like a blank page it's yeah, it's full of opportunity. You can write about anything at this yeah. point, you know. Yeah. I mean, the thing I always love about putting a new show together is that, like, I, I start with nothing. Yeah. 
And by the end of, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I landed in Adelaide two months ago with nothing. Like, yeah, you know, I I, you not that. one joke that I have tried in front of anybody else. But you had been, you had been doing your writing thing. Oh, I've been writing, yeah. yeah. I know, I'd been working on it heaps. Yeah. But I literally had not had an opportunity to try one single joke. Yeah. I go out on the first night and I do 84 minutes. And as I said to you before, I said to them, I'm determined to give you 60 minutes of good material. Yeah. No matter how long it takes. First <laughs> night, 84 minutes. But I... <laughs> Um, but by then, two months later, I'm now 40, 50 shows into a, you know, a new 70 minutes that people really like. So, I mean, you know, you, you, now I have this whole new thing that all these people haven't seen yet that I can right. show them. So, so that's exciting, you know. Do you, do you have a very good memory? Uh, like for remembering bits and stuff? Yeah. No, not really. You don't. But I, don't I don't either. I, write it, I just write it all so that it... My big thing with comedy is, 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 firstly, no one else knows how it's meant to go. Right. Right? What, I always consider the show to be whatever I say in the time period we've allocated. Yes. That's the show. <laughs> right? From when I walk out and start talking to when I stop talking, yeah. that's the show. Yeah. There are no other guarantees than that. Yeah. Because that's what you've agreed to. Right. You, you've agreed to come and hear me talk for 70 minutes. You haven't agreed to, oh, well, you'll cover this, this, and this. <laughs> I better hear the cats and dogs bit. Right. So, so there is part of me that... Um, firstly, just, you know, I have that confidence of going, but I write all my material because I write it all at the same time. It doesn't need, it all fits together. Yes. Right? And, it ha- and, and has a beginning and end, sort of? Not always. So that's sometimes it will because sometimes jokes need to be told in a certain order. So does sometimes when you're working the show out, will you be like, oh, this should be the end? Right. And it's and in the middle right now. That, in fact, happens. So if anyone saw my first show, uh, my first week of shows in Adelaide, um, you saw a completely different ending to the ending the show has f- had for the rest of the run. Yeah. That's there was a bit I was doing in the middle that I just realized was. And in fact, I'm not even sure it's still the end of the show. Yeah. Like, this is one of my issues that I have with the show still is I feel like I'm ending on what would be, in an ideal world, be an encore piece. Right. Because it is, it sums up perfectly the whole show. Yeah. And it is really thematically linked with what, what I'm talking about in the show. But it feels like, it doesn't feel like a good enough point or bit or resolution of the show to be sure. the end of the show sure it feels like I should be resolving the show and then people should love that re- resolution so much that I would then come on and do this bit and people would be like oh my god that wraps up everything that is such a good bit oh my god and that was the encore piece unfortunately I don't have the confidence I'll get an encore so I'm doing it at the end instead but yeah. um but no, but what I find is if I write everything, so even if I'm writing, if I write it all at the same time, even if I'm writing something about climate change, then, and I'm writing something about being back at my parents' farm at Christmas, then I've written, I, I, I'm writing the bit about it being the hottest day, but the hottest day happened when I was home at Christmas when I'm telling this other story. So, it, so even if I told it in the wrong order one night, when I got to the bit where I'm telling the story, I'd be like, oh, and it was the hottest day ever that day. Yeah. Because it all fits together. Right. So, it, so in some ways it doesn't really matter what order I do it in because yeah. it's all about the same thing. Now, that's not exactly true because there are kind of structures and points to it where... Yeah, you go off. But there's like three beats essentially to this year's show. That are what I consider they'd be kind of like three 20-minute bits where it really wouldn't matter too much what part of that 20 minutes you did in that 20 minutes. Right. And then, like, the next 20 minutes, you'd have to do those sort of themes in there, and then the last 20 minutes, you have to do that sort of shit in there. But it doesn't have to go in the same order. There's some callbacks and there's some structural stuff that means that it's good to tell one joke before another joke. But 
No, I don't. I don't. I, I tend to not try to remember it too much, does like it, memorize things or anything. Does anybody record their show every year and put it out as an album? I'm I'm thinking about doing that. I, We've I record, don't know why you would. We've recorded the last few, and the only reason we hadn't up until that point was we were considering at some stage again doing another DVD. Because I have one fear, which is that I will die and they will use philosophy clips on the news. <laughs> and, I'll be, and I'll be angry about that. Because I'll be like, I developed! I didn't use a headset microphone for years! That's awesome. Like, literally, I've been thinking about putting one out purely just so yeah. that you have some more current stuff sure. on my... Um, so you filmed this one? So, no, doing? I've recorded the la- I've audio recorded the last yeah. few. So I have them. They should. And... But I am also considering maybe if I am going to do that, what I might go back and do is just... Because I have them also. I could also just do a weekend and record the last four over a weekend, you know, kind of... Yeah. You know, so um, I'm thinking about doing that because I don't really love the idea of the the DVD and I do like the idea of the album and the audio and stuff. I'm a much bigger fan of audio than I am DVDs. Yeah. I and I, it, I think it's a bit more old school and I think you can create a bit more and I think that there's, you can actually get connected to it. Yeah. Part of the problem I have with DVDs a lot of the time is they're either in a really big room, so you're sitting alone at home and you don't feel like you're in the big room. Yes. Or they're shot in such a shitty way to get the intimacy that it loses some of the yes. pizzazz. And, and I also don't think, I think you lose something when you're watching a comic on a TV as opposed to, right. I think you're more in it when you're listening. You're more in the room when you're listening to it. And also, I don't think that, I think if you heard something in an audio sense, you'd be like, well, I might go and see that live. Whereas sometimes people think they've seen something live if they've seen the DVD. And we all know that it is so different. So different. To being in a room doing stand-up yeah. comedy to, you know. I I, so I was even considering because of that thing we were talking about before about the show getting different. Yeah. Like I am actually considering, yeah, recording it in Melbourne. Well, I have recorded in Melbourne this year. Yeah. And I might wait until the end of the tour and record whatever the version is at the end, and I might put out because the show will be very different. What do you mean I by might, the end of the tour? Right. So, well, because like I, I'll finish this tour because like, I'll end up doing 150, 170 shows of this oh, really? over the year. And where, so where else will you go? Well, so uh, I, I've got two weeks in London in um, next week or a couple of weeks from now, mm-hmm. uh, the Soho Theatre there. Then I come back and I do Montreal and I do some touring and stuff uh-huh. here. But then I go back and I do Perth and I do Sydney and I do like some of yeah. the yeah, other places in Australia, Darwin and like some other places like that. Yeah. And I tend to do like eight or nine weeks in Sydney. Like I play the comedy store and I just do it like, you know, four or five because I'm there for Gruen. Right. So I just go down and do it like every night. So, yeah. you know. So I kind of this, it'll be a very different show by the end of Sydney, mm-hmm. and one might not be better than the other. By the way, just because I change it and whatever doesn't necessarily mean for other people it's better, you know. Right. But I kind of like that idea of you know I could put out the version from like you know March, and I could put yeah. out the version from the end of the year, and I think that some people That's would probably find that yeah I mean, interesting. I went, I went you know? to see Louis when he was working out his special, and then it's interesting to, interesting to see how it ended up and what he kept. Right. That stuff's, that stuff's, you know, for a real guy who loves comedy, that's an interesting thing. And, you know, I, I mean, I saw him working up stuff for, for that show as well. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing for me was the, the way he obviously works, well, the way that it seemed like he worked was he had, like, a bunch 
of premises. Yes. Right? Like a bunch of things that could become bits. Yes. And he just tried them. Yeah. And then by the time you saw the special, it was like six bits or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. You know, however many bits it is. It's not a lot of bits. Not a lot of bits. Right? Yeah. They're yeah. just big bits of the ones that worked. Yeah. So when you saw him like trying it out, you're like, oh, well, these bits are a bit too same. Mm-hmm. But of course, by the time he did the special. Not at all. Not at all. Because yeah. he took out the ones that didn't work. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some value in that. I think there's something interesting about that as well. So, and I think nowadays with technology and stuff, you know, I kind of like the idea that it might, you could just put something out and online yeah. and people can get it. There's no reason not to. Right. I mean, there really isn't. Like, it's just it's just material. It's right. not like a precious baby. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. That's all, yeah. That's, you but you're absolutely show. also right about that, which is that idea of going, like, if they want to find shitty, sh- shitty stuff of me to show on the news when I die, there's already plenty. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, might, you, you might as well just put out some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I also feel like if you, if, you have, if you have done this show and presented it as an hour for however right. long, that should be good enough to put out. Right. If you're willing audio. to get people to pay 50 bucks to go and see right. it live... Then, then it should also should be, be good enough that people can get yeah, ten bucks right. for an album. Correct. Yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of which, when's your album out, Dave? Uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Uh, right, I'm cool. waiting on iTunes. All right, Shame Chamber. Um, people will be able to find that. And um, uh, if you want to hit us up, I'm still using the Facebook page most of the time. You can go through the website, of course, um, uh, and you can find us uh, on iTunes. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, please rate the podcast because it keeps us up the top of the podcast charts. Um, uh, oh, and if you like any of the quotes from the show, uh, go to Tofop Quotes on uh, Tumblr or on Twitter. Um, they're really fun, and we always love when people post stuff like that. Uh, thank you very much, Dave. Thank you. Thank you.